war where hot dogs got bored right up in the same pot. All cooked though, I went front, flipping on mats to Cropping them sacks, hiding seeks and spots to out them. We sell every facts. War on drugs was a chess game. Was a pawn, guns drawn on my front lawn. Just a young staring down the corner. Checking out the hustlers with the latest kicks on them. Know what it's gonna want. Mama ain't got it. Been up in school line, but she know about it. I was just a young, know what I was headed for. Jumped off the porch, but really I wasn't ready for it. Get up off the hood, find a way out. Welcome again to another episode of the Ryan Hancock Podcast, brought to, brought to you in part by coffee, which is a great thing, great thing, uh, great feel to start your day. And I'm recording here at my home uh, home coffee shop, still perking on magazine, not magazine, but on Washington and Britannia, not too far from where I live at. And you know, today's guest. You know, when I was a kid, being raised by my grandmother, my grandmother used to always say, Ryan, experience is the best teacher. My grandfather said that, but my grandmother used to always tell me, keep living, because you never know who you're gonna experience, who, what kind of people you're gonna come in contact with. And being from Memphis, I never had interaction, too many interactions with transgender people. And not until I moved down here a few years ago, so this is the first time I've had a transgender person on my podcast. They're not only a guest, but they're also my boss at WTUL. And their name is none other than Caroline Tweedy, uh, Tweedle. We know her, she's known as uh, DJ Tweedy Bird on WTUL. And she's all, not, bleh, they're also my boss at um, WTUL. So without further ado, here's Caroline. Uh, the latest guest on the Ryan Hancock podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. No problem. No problem. So how did you learn about Tulane? I mean, I know you're from Rhode Island. Am I correct? Yes, I'm from Rhode Island originally. You're from Pro Providence, right? Yeah. Well, whenever people ask me like where in Rhode Island I'm from, I usually say Providence because it's like a a reference point but anywhere in the state is within 30 minutes of each other basically so i'm a little bit south of providence okay so you know providence is also the hometown of jeffrey osborne um from ltd uh there's a r&b group called there was an r&b group during the 1970s called ltd and jeffrey osborne was like the lead singer so oh, wow. he's from that's the only that's the only um the only thing I can think of when when I can think of when I think of Providence and also Family Guy, and my question to you is: Is Rhode Island life in Rhode Island similar to what you see on Family Guy? <laughs> I will say, I so yeah, Seth MacFarlane is from there. Also, another fun fact: um, the band The Talking Heads uh, got together at RISD, which is kind of cool. Um, they they're not from and, there, but they went to school there. Um, but Seth MacFarlane, I think, also went to RISD, and he, I'll say it's not inaccurate. No, I think the accents are really funny um, and definitely accurate. Like, maybe I can break into a Rhode Island accent at some point. Um, yeah, like that kind of like Boston-ish. Um, Quahog is not a real town, but it is mm -hmm. um, one of the, you know, there's a lot of like Quahog fishers um, in the state, which is funny. 
So no hogs are like you, clams, kind of. So how did you end up arriving at Tulane? I, I actually applied. The college application process in this generation is crazy. Like they, they try to kind of convince you that you won't get in anywhere. So I applied to 16 mm-hmm. colleges, mm-hmm. Um, which is too much. Um, my sister only applied to three. Um, but and what, and what three were those? She applied to URI, which is like the state school, um, UMass, Boston, I believe, and mm-hmm. um, Emerson, where she ended up going. She's in Boston right now. Um, I applied mm-hmm. to places all over the country. I didn't really know where I wanted to go, but I ended up at Tulane because um, I love music. I love jazz. And um, I, I originally came because I wanted to like sing um, and, and be in a place where um, the music culture was just like amazing as it is here. So I moved here because I wanted to be here. Um, mm-hmm. I got a lot to say about Tulane and, and how it's not New Orleans and how it's kind of parasitic. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. Yeah. I remember uh, a friend, Sarah, and I told her this one time. I said, you know, I'm from Memphis. You know, I'm from Memphis. So right. when you go to Memphis, you see everybody wearing University of Memphis Tiger stuff. Yeah. You do not see that in, you do not see that in New Orleans. I'm, I'm telling no. you. you. People like LSU better, few, which... LSU is more Louisiana than, than yes. Tulane. It's, it's more Louisiana. And and people tell me who people who grew up here, they tell me this. They say Tulane didn't used to be that way. Like Tulane University were always getting going after the top kids that were in the city. And they always they always would go with this whole thing of only in at Tulane, only in New Orleans. Well, about a third of the people, and even now, even with our staff, a lot of those people are not from New Orleans. Like the, the kids that are part of that staff, they're not from New Orleans, they're from other places. And and that's not a bad thing, but it's a reality of what I told Sarah one day, I said, Sarah, um, Tulane to me is that big white ivory tower in the city, because yeah. you see, you see, you don't see, like, I, I remember uh, when I first started at WTUL, I, re- I remember going up to some folks from the Black Student Association, and they were like, they were like, they, they thought I kicked their dog. They didn't know, they never seen a Black person. I was like, hi, I'm the DJ at WTUL, and you would have thought I kicked their dog or something, because it oh was God. so abnormal. To, it, it was so abnormal to them because they never seen. They don't really have that many experience. They don't have that much uh, interaction with black people on campus. Um, right. it, and it's crazy, you know. It's really crazy. It's really crazy to think that you know Tulane is like that. I mean, you see more yeah. UNO people wearing UNO stuff than you do Tulane stuff. Absolutely, and Tulane, you know. Um, they, they call it the Tulane bubble, but it's called a lot of things, yes. but it's, it really, it very much is. It's like this kind of shielded, um, it's like they're actively trying to keep the community out, which I think TUL yes. is one of the only, if not the only student organization that allows community members to join that I know of. Um, and I think I've gotten more interaction or just like connected with the more through being on the radio station 
and like getting out in the city from that than anything else. Like, and Tulane, yeah, they actively recruit people from the Northeast because they want that wealth. Like, it, I think mm-hmm. the more I'm here, the more I understand the university and specifically this university as a corporation. Um, you know, their their bottom line is money, and yeah, you know, there's I mean, a that's lot of every, that's every that's yeah. every that's that's every school. You know, I've had like the guy that I know that used to call. Tulane's uh, Tulane basketball, Tulane football, and me and him have had conversations. And I say, you know, it's crazy to think like the bubble, that bubble is real. And yeah. once you get past maybe, I would say the bubble to me, I think is like Claiborne all the way to yeah. Carrollton, Carrollton mm-hmm. to uh, St. Charles, and St. Charles all the way up to State Street. Once you get past State Street, that bubble is out. Like that bubble, yeah. that bubble is like that right there. Yeah, that's and, absolutely the square for sure. So it's you know, so I you know, it's like this whole thing with with the school, with the university. It's more of everybody out, everything outside that bubble is bad. And I'm like, you gotta let kids experience life and let them make their own mistakes. You know, you're not their parents. Absolutely. You gotta let them experience. The, you gotta let them experience mistakes. Make their own mistakes. Yeah, you know, like and live in the place where they're living too. It's it's like right. it's very disturbing to me. And with with the COVID restrictions as well. You know, my biggest problem with the COVID restrictions at Tulane currently is the beginning of the year. They're like, we're following New Orleans school systems. Like we're we will be open when the public schools are open. And they've just totally abandoned that in this semester because they want to stay open. And at the beginning of the semester, New Orleans schools were online, but they they mm-hmm. lobbied they lobbied with Cantrell or or Edwards, someone, because um, private institutions are now an exception to Phase One. So, mm-hmm. it, like in policy and in like physical kind of barriers, they're absolutely trying to cut people off from the rest of the city. Which is true, and you know, in my hometown in Memphis, we have the Shelby County school system, and then we have the private schools. The private schools could play sports. Right. The city schools, the county schools, could the public schools, they could not play sports. And that's kind of like what you have here with what's happening in New Orleans, with what's happening, um, which what's happening, um, per, which what's happening at Tulane, because I remember when they had started, when this when the restrictions started here in New Orleans, I remember texting you and Aaron. Yeah. And I said, there's no way you can possibly do anything regarding like what we were doing. Cause we had, we were playing marathon around that time. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way you can do this. I was telling everybody I knew, I was like, there's just no gateway to doing this. And yeah. how are you gonna get people to switch from in person to virtual in a short period in a short window of time there's no possible way to doing that right no it's it's really difficult and i think you know it's hard because you know we're talking about governments at all levels and it's like yeah the the federal government doesn't give a fuck so we were just left with just this vacuum so private institutions and corporations and companies were allowed to just make their own restrictions which i don't i don't think that makes sense because if it's not across you know a wider level then businesses are still going to be open like you know so yeah it, it really boggles the mind it's like how 
it's just it's such a disconnect and they think that money is just the exception to everything they're like we have money so we can just like test the shit out of people and we've already had um almost 700 cases in the first two weeks if not mm. more i haven't checked but um that's about 10 percent of the undergraduate population this semester has had been positive for covid so it's not surprising it's not it's not surprising and i remember yeah. when you know when they told us about when they said that the non affiliates couldn't go back into the studio i was like i had wrote out a plan like i asked and i talked about it in our meeting uh, yeah, in our general meeting and i said okay peaches records they have it where you have to wear disposable gloves like we're going to be inside so you got to wear a face covering as long as you're when you're behind the mic wear a face covering when you're, you know, when you're go use, going to the stacks or whatever, for example, use disposable gloves. When your own laptop, if you're going to use the station computer, use gloves. Right. Like those things would have been. Yeah, that makes those sense. Those things would, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but like I said, like you said, you know, the university didn't want to hear that. And, you know, it's, it's very hard for me. And I think now, Caroline. Yeah it's very hard for me to get angry at regular people. It's more so at leadership because leadership is this. If you tell me that the fire, that the fire is hot and I don't believe you, then it's up to then. And I see that the fire is hot. Then, right. Okay. There's a reason why you did it that way. There's a reason why you said it that way. But if you're telling me if something's a hoax, I'm just going to sit there and believe you until it hits, until it affects me. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so, it's just gross to me. And, you know, talking about the Tulane bubble, it's like, I think it's really irresponsible to have all these people. Cause like, there are a lot of people from like New York, from like California, from bigger cities. People are coming in from all over the country, you know, mm -hmm. having pre-existing, like being positive already coming back to campus. And they're mm -hmm. saying, no one from off campus can come on campus, but our students are allowed to be on campus and then go anywhere in the city. So it's like, yes. you're gonna, you're, you're allowing, you're like, you know, COVID stops here. Like we can stop it in our institution, but now, you know, 6,000 reckless students for the most part, I mean, for a large part, like a lot of people are partying and doing shit like that, which, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just bringing it out and just making the, the COVID rate worse in the city. So yeah, they, they don't care. <laughs> That's all I can say is like, they, they really, and it's not logical. Yeah. I think if we had, you know, people said a uniform, I, like a uniform, yeah. if we had like total, like real leadership, mm -hmm. real leadership and just people listening to leadership. And I told you earlier, like I said, people in this state are not going to listen to a democratic government. People in this city are not going to listen to a black woman. People in this city, people in this country, they're not going to listen to, to Joe Biden because there's a D by his name. Mm. People played politics with this. Yeah. And when you play politics with lives, then it becomes a problem. Yeah. It becomes a big problem. So now we shift over to um, your life as a transgender person. Sure. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, and this is, um, this is a true story. This is kind of why I ended up going to WTUL, mm. um, back at, about three years ago, I interviewed a transgender person that I 
met in the quarter in the square because mm-hmm. you know i deliver food on my bike so yeah. one day i'm down in the quarter and this guy i know named glover he's a writer and he was going to come on my podcast he was like yo you need to meet my friend they're um they're trans they're trans and i'm like okay um okay what do they do they're like he they're they're they are they're writers they're writers so Basically, they came on my show. I did a Wednesday night show from nine to about nine to ten thirty, mm-hmm. and the very next day, I get all these phone calls from my program, my station manager, mm-hmm. and which was like the one time because I I think I told Fiona, I think I told Fiona, I think I told you, and I told Aaron. I said I think I conversated with more with you guys in the first three weeks I was at WTL than mm-hmm. I conversed in three years at Crescent City Radio. So here's what happens. Right. I'm on the one thing you do not do if I'm at work is call me about dumb shit. <laughs> they call, I get a phone call from my program manager and they had said that they had gotten emails, uh, phone calls and all this stuff because I invited this person on this, this trans person on this, on the station. And I mm-hmm. basically pulled over. I was in front of this rest, this, uh, bike store on Dolphin Street in the quarter. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I can basically say this, look, I, if that person, if they go out in the middle sink in the neutral ground, St. Charles and kill somebody, that's not my problem. Okay. They came on my show. I don't give a shit if they're trans. I don't give a shit if they're pink, purple, green. And you got to understand, Caroline, I'm yeah. from Memphis. I never came in contact with too many trans people. So being from Memphis, like the first time I remember meeting someone that was trans, I was so, I was fucking freaked out. And I was like 21, 22 years old. I was fucking freaked out because I'm, you know, when you live in Memphis, you're in this little bubble, like we're the buckle of the Bible belt, we're the city of churches. So things like that are abnormal to me. So I basically told him this, I said, look, I don't give a fuck who gets, Anybody that got a problem with me having a trans person on that show, better call me. I have my phone, my phone numbers and my email uh, yeah. signature. And my email is in my email signature. So they can all go to fu- go to fucking hell. So basically that right there kind of like played a role in me leaving because I didn't want people like playing in my sandbox. Yeah. But, you know, up until this point, I was like, okay, Caroline, I just thought, okay, your name, you know, Caroline, it's a girl and stuff, mm-hmm. but you put in your um, thing that you're they, them. Mm-hmm. And when you decided, when you decided to come out as trans, what was the reaction from your family? Mm. So I will clarify. So I am, uh, I use they, them pronouns. I identify as non-binary which is on the trans spectrum but um Mm -hmm. it's just more of like you know there's like there's a spectrum of gender in the same way there's a spectrum of sexuality it's like no one's 100% gay no one's 100% straight like you know or maybe you are but you fall somewhere on that kind of spectrum same thing Mm with um kind of trans experience or in the way that I understand is like um you know, you can be a trans woman, a trans man, or you can kind of fall somewhere in the middle um, of that gender expression. So I would say I'm non-binary. Um, but again, that falls under the trans umbrella. First of all, I'm 
really horrified and I'm so sorry that 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 people you know I'm sorry to your guest and I'm sorry to you that people reacted in that way um but it really is you know it when when they talk about um like normalizing something um you know I think it's really it's an overused word in the sense it's like oh normalize this normalize this but I think with the trans community there's been a lot of media and you know coming from churches coming from just any tv show like i went back and watched friends and like you know a couple years ago they made jokes about trans people all the time like all the time like any any popular u.s tv show like for some reason like constant jokes about trans people and that that abnormalizes something that says like you know these people are freaks or something like that i mean i was one of those people you know when i was yeah it's a a dominant yeah it's a dominant ideology and what's important is to you know learn from that experience and say okay this is not abnormal like you know trans people exist they have existed for a long time and um I actually have not come out as non-binary to my family, uh, except for my sister. Um, they know I'm gay uh, and they're fine with that. But my mom uh, has said to me um, that she has, she's in the medical field. She said that she has patients who are trans and she's talked to me about that because she knows I'm in the LGBT community. She's like, you know, ask me questions. And she says, I get confused or like, I don't really, she's like, I don't like the they, them thing because it's not grammatically correct. And like, people will kind of throw at you these little things that are like, this is a technicality, this is a science issue, or this is a biological thing, you know? And I think a lot with trans discourses, it gets tied up in like biology and people ask really invasive questions to trans people about like their bodies and stuff like that. But I think, you know, what's most important is yet to listen to people and say, you know, what is your experience like beyond that and not like fixating on things like that and you know to my mom I was like I'm getting an advanced degree in English like I'm, I'm getting my master's in English right now I can tell you that it is grammatically correct to use they them pronouns for example if you don't know um if you don't know the gender of somebody you would say they in general so you're just like oh the um you know I got a I got a package delivery today they left it on the stairs and that's totally I mean, yeah. I mean, and I live in I live I live in a rooming house, so I use right. they a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not. And also, I have a degree in English, so mm, I didn't know that. You know, yeah. A lot of people <laughs> never know that. Oh. <laughs> I, I I used to work as a, I used to work as a social count. I used to deal with social work when uh, when I was in college. Cool. But I also also have the degree in English, so yes, they is grammatically correct because a lot of times I could say, oh yo, they uh, left a piece of paper on the floor or something like that or yeah. they left cds around the studio or whatever yeah. so so that's pretty you know normal for someone to say you know to use definitely and people uh, just get confused yeah which it's like when you don't and definitely like when you haven't heard of something you know people are scared of what they don't know so you know and i'm not forgiving people for being transphobic but uh, i'm like you know if we are to move towards understanding it's like just listen to people don't get fixated on you know the grammar because you know a lot of people who say that kind of thing about like oh the grammar just doesn't make sense I'm like when else do you care about grammar do you really care about grammar or are you just like freaked out or do you just like not want to understand this person and so I use they them pronouns because I 
find that my gender expression is kind of androgynous. Sometimes I dress more masculine or sometimes I feel more masculine or sometimes I'll paint on a mustache because I'm, I'm feeling that way a certain day. Um, which I think was kind of how I came to the realization that um, I don't identify as a cis woman. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I think it started literally with like, um, when I was studying abroad, I just, I was like, you know, baked one day. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna paint on this mustache on my face. And I was like, you know what? I actually kind of like how this looks. And um, I went out the next day with the mustache painted on. I was in Ireland and all these guys at this pub were like staring at me. And um, they, they were kind of, you know, they were friendly and they bought me a drink. And then they were like, what about this mustache? <laughs> like they wanted to get my attention. So they bought me a drink and then we're like asking about it. I was like, yeah, I just like it. It's part of my makeup, whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's interesting because gender is something that is kind of externally placed on someone. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's like from the observation of, of someone else. So, um, I don't know. It it is interesting the way that people like perceive your gender. So they'll use a certain set of pronouns. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I dress like a woman, people will say she, or like they see Caroline Mm -hmm. and on this, like, you know, that's how, that's how I was when, you know, when I, when, when I first met you, I was like, you know, she, you know, cause you don't know, like, for example, I have a neighbor, his Mm -hmm. name is Ashley. Yeah. Like his name, but we call him, everyone calls him Ashley, but his, his name is Ashley. I mean, you have, for example, like you have guys that are named Lindsay, like Lindsay yeah. Graham or, um, <laughs> yeah, Lady G. Or, um, Lady G, or like, uh, there was also, uh, Lindsay Nelson mm-hmm. who, uh, broadcasted, uh, baseball games for the New York Mets. Like his oh, yeah. name was Lindsay, Lindsay Nelson. Um, so it's like, I think now, gender is really like gender is just a word now and in, in, in this day and age gender is just a word i mean there are people there are a lot more women named ryan now and mm-hmm. especially in this city i'm oh, probably yeah. like the, i'm probably like the only guy that's named ryan the way i spell it mm-hmm. but i remember having this conversation with my guest on yesterday's podcast about how she knew more p- women named Ryan than men. I was like the oh, first wow. male Ryan, Ryan that she had met. Uh, that's really interesting. So, so that's the thing. And I talk. I want to talk about and discuss mm-hmm. the nomination of uh, Mayor Pete mm-hmm. being the first openly gay member of any presidential cabinet, Republican or Democrat. I yep. want to ask your get your opinion on that because you know and it's more you know I know the most the most bullshit thing the most bullshit phrase I hear all the time is representation yes representation but in a reality in a sense representation does do matter because I remember explaining to somebody on um on Twitter the other day I said you know when I was growing up a black person could not be smart and cool. Like a black nerd was Steve Urkel and he had a suspenders and the glasses. And I can tell you, honestly, I had, I wore, I wore glasses, but mm-hmm. I didn't have the suspenders. And when Obama got elected, I'm like, okay, this guy can talk foreign policy and he can also play basketball. He also yeah. listened to hip hop. He also listened to jazz. 
and I explained, hey, that's me as well, because I play basketball quite often. Yeah. Um, I play basketball. I listen to jazz. I mean, you've seen my playlist on 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 WTO. It's normally one minute it's Coltrane, the next minute it's yeah. Uh, Tribe Called Quest, or another minute it's Gucci Mane, and then there's also Miles Davis and and Stanley Tarantino. So representation does matter because you see yourself in that person yeah uh and and i want to get your thoughts on that before we close out the podcast for sure i (laughs) i think pete is really interesting as a figure and i think you know like queer experience and black experience are so different in so many ways but i think respectability is something that is really interesting to me and how people present so Mm -hmm. i think while it's nice to see a gay person in the cabinet, it's also like he is the most respectability figure of the queer community ever. Mm-hmm. Like he is very much like he went to Harvard. He has all the dressings of like any other person who is like looking to be in politics. He has a degree from an Ivy League school. You know, he's married. He's Christian, I believe. Um, so he has like all this stuff that's wanted or kind of like common in the government besides the fact that he's gay. So, and he was in the military and stuff like that. So it's really great to see that representation with the huge caveat of like, you know, he doesn't represent all gay people. He doesn't really present as gay. Um, And I don't know, like it's hard because it's like, it is really great. And he was like the first openly gay mayor of his town and stuff like that. But you know, it's a step in the right direction, but in the same way that, you know, people were kind of celebrating like, oh, the first like black defense secretary has been kind of put in place. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's cool. So it's like now there's a black man in charge of like bombing other countries. Like it's just, you know, so it's like, it's something to celebrate in terms of representation, but I think it's, it's difficult to be completely happy with that. You know, like if, if that makes sense. I think the thing yeah. is, you know, I think the thing is, and, and I, we talk about uh, representation a lot, especially in the Black community. And yeah. a lot of people don't realize, like, the reason why Rosa Parks and, uh, was the face of the bus boycott was because she was fair-skinned. Like, she was fair-skinned. Somebody that looked like me, mm-hmm. black, you know, brown-skinned, would not been able to convince Congress to... Uh, to to pack to like for a boy they would not convince congress or you know whatever to move in the in the right direction to end segregation on buses like a lot of people do not know like a lot of people don't realize that the first three or four mayors of this city were all light-skinned like mayor morial if you look up photos of dutch morial and his son he was Mm -hmm. light-skinned i think bartholomew was light-skinned and I think Mayor Cantrell is the first black mayor of this city to not be born at Flint Goodridge, which is not far from where my house, uh, where I live at, and the first non-light-skinned, uh, first non-light-skinned woman to be, first non-light-skinned black person to be mayor of this city, mm-hmm. with no Creole descent, like no Creole descent, like a lot, and 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 I say that in in comparison to look to in the thing with Rosa Parks is that Rosa Parks was a mother she was married and she was light-skinned the one the girl the girl that got arrested the 15 year old girl that got arrested 
she was about to have a child out of wedlock mm-hmm. and she you know you don't want to have a teenage mom as the face of your movie yeah you have to get somebody that is going to be respected in the community which is what Rosa Parks was Rosa Parks was respected in the community it is the same thing that you get with mayor with mayor Pete he's yeah. respected in the community if you had somebody that was just out in the open, just flamboyantly gay, yeah. um, and to a level um, didn't dial it down a notch, yeah. then you would not, if he was like that, he would not get a seat at the table. Let's, let's, exactly. be, let's be honest about that. Yeah, and it's like revolutionary. So I see what versus, you're- Yeah, like, like um, moving in, it's like, you know, talking about like abolish the police versus, I mean, this is a little bit different. It's like abolish the police versus defund versus reform. It's like reform is kind of taking that respectable, respectable, you know, air quotes kind of route where it's like this, it's palatable to people. Like it's kind of like working to be palatable to people. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, that's what the government or that's what the populace responds to sometimes. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily the best step to go to kind of work incrementally and say like, you know, like Rosa Parks needs to be this person because she checks all of mm-hmm. the other boxes of being respectable besides the fact mm-hmm. that she's a black woman. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's very much like in a similar thought pattern. It's like, oh, Mayor Pete, he's, he's the perfect candidate. Right. It's sort of like I I gave this example. I gave this one other thing, like with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's like somebody that has bass in their voice, like me, isn't going to be the face of it. It's going to be somebody like D Ray. Like D Ray is not, he doesn't have as much bass in his voice like I do. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be the face of it. And that's the thing that, like, people got to look at like symbols and people got to look at things in, 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 in deeper meaning, in deeper meaning. It's like the. I think that's kind of like. I'll, I'll say this in in closing. When I first joined WTUL, I literally thought y'all was just like everybody else at Tulane. Cause I been out to Tulane. I delivered food out there, and it just. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like the complete opposite of everything that you see about Tulane. Yeah. Because I went to a college that was just like that at. at I went to a college that was just like that in Memphis. I graduated, I went to Christian Bush University. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I know how the bubble, wa- like the bubble was very big, was very small for us. Yeah. Because CBU in Memphis is right in the hood. It's like deep in the hood. And I grew up in that area and I was like, okay, nobody's gonna really bother you if you leave CBU campus. like especially in Orange Mountain where I grew up, they're not going to bother me. Anything, they're going to be like, hey, how you doing? And the the thing that I think that makes us so unique about WTU is that we are out in the community, that we are in the community. And I remember at one of the meetings I said to the new students, I stood up and I said, look, you guys are part of a local institution. Like this is a public trust and you have to take care of it. And it's so weird to see that we're like the everything like you guys are like the opposite of everything that I would have thought a Tulane kid was like snotty spoiled and everything and and I'm grateful for you guys uh for a guy 
you know, as old as I am, uh, to open up my eyes about, you know, about how uh, how we perceive others and stuff of that nature. For sure. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of baggage with like what Tulane people are like. I deal with them. It, it's really infuriating to me, honestly, like the kind of, you know, and and the institution just to loop back to this, like, you know, in politics and Black Lives Matter and um, abolishing the police and stuff, you know, there will be a small faction um, of people who, you know, are more into like revolutionary politics and will say, abolish the TUPD. We don't need them. Like we we pay our TUPD. Their budget is like six million dollars a year. And we, you know, we protested and we're like, defund this police force. And Tulane puts up a new police headquarters across from the boot. So it's like the institution. Which, which I don't even, which, which I think is like completely like pointless. Cause I'm like, I, I've been out there numerous times. I've been out there at two and three in the morning. They never harassed me ever. And gratefully, I'm grateful for that. Right. But for the most part, they're nothing, they're no different than garden district, security district cops, which yeah. is pointless because they're it's nothing so more pointless. than accident report. It's they're nothing more than accident reporters. That's all they are. And yeah. one time my neighbor got his car broken into and garden district police was nowhere to be found. And we're right, <laughs> they are nowhere to be found. We had to call the NOPD and the joke is in New Orleans is NOPD stands for not our problem, dude. And yeah. it's really that way. That us. No, yeah, it's but, crazy. but Caroline, thank you so yeah. much for dropping by the podcast. The podcast will be up later on this afternoon. Great. And as always, folks, thank you for your time this time. Until next time, we will see you down the road. <laughs>